my name is Petra Markham and I started to come up to London to school in 1957. Who am I? Well, I'm now 79. I've been acting, I guess, most of my adult life. Where was I born? I was born in Presbury in Cheshire because my granny came from Germany in 18 something like 1890, and she went to Stockport with her husband and they worked in the cotton mills, I think, like quite a few German immigrants did, and he worked in a cotton mill and then found a little a place, a house in Disley, and my mum was born there. My dad was an actor, David Markham, and he found this little cottage in the middle of a wood, literally, Ashdown Forest. I think it was about 300 quid then, and he decided to live there. When did I come to London? I moved here in 1964. I was 18 when I went to drama school, Weber Douglas, in South Kensington, in 1964. I'd gone to weekly boarding school before that, so I knew a bit about London, but steam trains were still working. And we got on the train from Forest Row and went up to London, and then my progressive school I went to was in um, Hampstead and we came back at weekends and then rode my pony and had a pig and had a small holding on the Ashdown Forest. What was my journey here like? The journey was between the countryside and London and that then you saw how the, the, the landscape changed as you went along and you, it became more urban and more built up and and I used to go see the the fields going by me and going, pretending I was in a pony and keep up, keep up, uh, uh, come on, as if there was a horse outside racing along with the train, you know, and then the fields ended. It was a train with a real destination. I mean, nowadays you would get in a train and you don't know if it'll make it. The, the train, the engine, the steam engine was so big, so loud that it was wonderful. So you had a little window that you let down with a strap and you have to be careful not to get soot in your eye, but comfortable seats and you would sit there often I might have a little crush on a passenger maybe a, a bloke was sitting opposite smiling or something and that was fun and then but it never stopped halfway or there was no question that the train wasn't in a good way and the people were happy working on it you know you didn't get the the low morale which you've got now it, it was an adventure actually and it was lovely and I've loved trains ever since beaching cut the forest row line because he didn't think it was used enough and that was really bad because um, well it just made many more cars come and it's quite sad now the station's gone you can walk along the line I've done that um, walk along the old railway line but um, you know it, it shouldn't have happened because it's a useful journey that to forest row um, you know people like to go there it's, it's a very nice little not a village now it's a small small town, just about call it a, a town, I think. What was the country like when I left it? I spent my time really from six, seven, we had a, I had a pony, I would pretend I was a cowboy and ride all over the Sussex Weald, in, which is, the Ashdown Forest is quite a, it's 500 acre forest, it's a Winnie the Pooh enchanted forest. I'd ride a pony and pretend I was a cowboy. A lot of my time was quite solitary. My two older sisters were quite older, so I would spend time with, a, with my pet rabbit, get, going to the pigsty. Pigs are really clean. We only had one and they were absolutely beautiful and let it out in the forest to eat acorns. 
um, riding my pony, really being surrounded by nature. So, so it was a complete contrast to come into buildings, concrete pavements. I thought everybody at one point lived in their little cottage on the in the hill. So I, when I first went to London, I suppose when I was twelve, I thought oh, everybody's crowded together. I mean, in a way, it was a huge privilege to be in a little cottage. How does London compare to Forest Row? It was the 50s and the 60s in the countryside. It was very, very quiet. So if you were a young woman, you, I couldn't find my place. I didn't really want to be a farmer. I, at one point I thought, shall I go to agricultural college? But I didn't, because I knew there was killing in animals and I didn't think I could face that. So I, I didn't know what, you know what to do except perhaps try an actor. That was always going to be the city. So I've always been torn between living a country life and a city life, and mostly I've led a city life, but there is a whole section that has missed Ashdown Forest. And always, a lot of the time, not, not always, but there, there wasn't the poverty, there was struggle, but people were quite well off, and you know, but it was just being in touch more with humanity that I was interested in, uh, and being an actor you had to be there as well, I suppose, to, to go up for interviews and things. Describe Forest Row. Everybody in, in the, on the forest was quite privileged. Not ev not everyone, but most people owned their houses. You know, they had, and there wasn't any uh, houses squashed together. Obviously, they were all individual cottages, and and some were bigger than others. But I, in a way, I, I I wasn't sure that that felt quite so comfortable, unless I was doing a good job down there, which was hard to find. So you, unless you were a doctor or you know a, a sheep. Farmer. There, were, there were a few farmers. We had a small holding. So my mum used to say, I want a life like my chickens. A good life and a quick death. So I don't now eat a chicken easily, but we used to keep chickens, kill them very quickly and eat them. So we lived off the land. We had a pig and sometimes they would be killed. Now I would find that difficult. At the time we weren't sentimental. They had a wonderful life outside in the forest and then they'd go and be killed and we would live off that a pig and keep it in the freezer. And, then in, and the vegetables the same. So I came from a completely organic but So when I came to London, yes, completely different and very difficult to cope with actually because I just didn't know where to find anything. I didn't know where you got, but, but when I went to the Portobello, that was rather wonderful because they of course had fresh vegetables in their stalls in the Portobello market. But it was very different eating, yeah, and I sort of would eat junk food and, and that was difficult, but now I'm a good cook. So I know, you know, what to do, um, I could get organic and I'm careful. Was I expecting anything before I arrived? I knew that London was exciting. I mean, my, as my father had been an actor, I had come up to see the theatre, I'd seen his performances, you know, so it wasn't as if it was completely unknown. I just knew that there was a steam train journey to get there, and it was quite scary on the tube trains. Um, but uh, when, it, when I enjoyed it most, in a way, was being a student, feeling the electricity around, and then, as I said, the first Beatles record. I became a total fan from like, Twist and Shout, I think, was the, was the first one. What I do remember before that were the pea soupers, the great big thick smog. The thing about London for me was always really rock and roll, uh, boys, what clothes you wore, 
quite scary underground trains, um, hard pavements. How do you seem to be quite relaxed when you don't really feel it? How can you be if, cool, I guess, walking around in something that is so moving all the time, busy, 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 from a rather still environment of, of Ashdown Forest, which was just beautiful wavy trees with a little stream, you know. 64 was when I was more settled and had to find somewhere to live in London. Flats were, you know, moving around a lot, actually, as one did then. They were fairly easy to find, but they weren't stable, really. Wherever you lived, you would probably have to move on in about a, a year's time. Um, yeah, that was 1964, but, but going to boarding school in Hampstead before that, I'd sort of got a, a little taste of that when I was 13, 14, and that's when I first heard uh, Guy Mitchell and Cliff Richard and all those sort of rockers and sort of realised, ah, the countryside isn't maybe all that I love, maybe there is another life. I got rather seduced by that kind of excitement. I was almost like a 60s King's Road person with a miniskirt, a Mary Quant dress. I went to Mary Quant, I got a dress there that when, when it first opened. I can remember it exactly, chocolate brown, sort of pinafore dress, sleeveless, so you wore a t-shirt underneath, um, just above the knee, uh, with tights. And the 60s were exploding that cliche, but it was extraordinary because there was so much of change and movement. And when I enjoyed it most in a way was being a student, feeling the electricity around, and then, as I said, the first Beatles record, I became a total fan. Twist and Shout, I think, was the, was the first one. What do I do here? I didn't really know that I wanted to be an actor, um, except that I had a job at Oldham Rep, the Oldham Coliseum, which is now uh, closed, I hear. And so I started as an acting, called an acting ASM, in 1959, for about five pounds a week, and decided then, the smell of theatre, I liked the idea of acting, I thought. <laughs> I'm not so sure really now, but... And so I, my dad was an actor, Kika, my sister was an actress, and so I went to drama school, sort of, not really making a big decision, but just deciding that perhaps I would like to be an actor. I left drama school in 1964, and my first job was either Emergency Ward 10, but it was r straight into telly. I just got into that mode of waif-like, um, normally slightly victimised young women, you know. Oh, oh, I didn't know really. Oh, I, I suppose so, Inspector. Yes, that sort of thing. Or, or, and even in EastEnders, which was later, I was sort of, oh, I, I really love you. And I was called Rose Hickey, Pete's girlfriend. I, I love you, Pete. No, well, I can't. I'm a bit scared of my husband because, you know, he can beat me up and I hope we've got a future together. And so it was, I always played quite little women like that who were a bit um, fragile. So, but it was a job and it was extraordinary. And I loved filming. I, I still do love filming. My elder sister went to the BBC to do makeup and, and worked on Doctor Who. And the extraordinary thing was, at some point I was in Doctor Who and she made me up. That was very unusual. I was only, I think, in two episodes with William Hartnell in the, in the, when I'd left drama school in 1967, something like that. The Crusades was the name of the, the sort of series of it called The Crusades. So um, it was quite odd. Uh, William Hartnell was 
grand. You didn't just go up to him. He, you know, he was um, concentrating on his part, and, and not horrible at all, but just focused and a bit elderly. So he was. He had to sort of concentrate. I, I played an Egyptian. Um, it was a bit strange, sort of darkish makeup, long black wig, and I was called Sophia. And I do. I have still got some fan letters from that, and people still look at it. The Crusades, Sophia. Egyptian woman who was quite frightened and I just remember that something happening something coming towards me and me being alarmed honestly I would never have thought that I would still get occasional fan letters and even sometimes sign my autograph for Doctor Who it is such an extraordinary program because that was what 1967 I mean a long time ago now get Carter I suppose I'd, that was uh, 1971, and I'd done quite a bit of telly, like uh, Zed Cars, Softly Softly, all those things that were on the telly then, Emergency Ward 10, The Expert, and I was sort of, for a moment, I was a little face of that, because I was sort of waif-like with long hair and sort of round eyes. When I went up for Get Carter, I'd just broken up with somebody called, called Keith Johnston, he um, taught improvisation and he did, a, he did a very pure improvisation. So we were together for five years and then in 1970 we split up. I was very lost so when I went for the interview of Get Carter I had a sadness about me and the director was very gentle and kind. I didn't have to read, I didn't have a Geordie accent because there was going to be a voice coach then and I think he saw my, felt my loss. Doreen in Get Carter is very lost and I really have never had an interview like it because he was just very kind and just asked me a few things and you know um, where I lived and what I'd been doing and I just think I was just rather a bit sad and didn't realize it was such a big deal then you know it was quite not a huge part although a significant part and so I wasn't too sort of nervous or worried about it and found I'd got it which was sort of extraordinary and then anyway then the filming was only two weeks actually um, and Michael came was terribly sweet and when I met him he'd said look if you fluff don't worry because I'll fluff as well so it won't just be your fault I said oh that's really sweet of you he said no don't worry at all and he was very kind I mean very professional not patronizing um, just very much in in the role you know and I and I didn't know really what I was doing so I didn't do anything which in a way suited the part because I I didn't know how to act Doreen. I just felt a bit lost and was myself, really. And that seemed to work, and the director seemed to be pleased. I mean, it's so strange in a way, because I've never really met or worked with another director like Mike Hodges. He was a, a sweet man. He would say, this scene, you chuck um, a glass of champagne into Quigley's face. So, I, But that was all he said. So I had a little bit of baby sham, I think, and just... To, really thought hard and wondered what it would be like my dad to have died and and I didn't realize the camera was on me so it wasn't it was a very strange experience I didn't know that I was then going to be taken in the pub just on my face sort of half crying I had no idea so it, it, it's odd it's the part that in a way I was the most natural in in some ways the least directed and and, and has lasted the longest it, it's interesting with acting you sometimes do the least and it lasts the longest. Doreen gets involved in some sort of pornographic um, filming and that's what 
get carters about really. They sort of use a young woman, um, a young girl. And because you couldn't really use an actress to, to do, there was a little bit of filming, nothing much, but I had to wear a uniform and, and sort of get on a bed with a, an adult. Um, and that wouldn't have been good for a real person who was 15. So they had to get somebody older. And I did always look quite young for my age. So that's how I got the part. Although looking at it now, 25 and I, I'm playing 15. Part of what's been difficult for me is, and wonderful too, looking young for my age, because growing older wasn't that easy, because I, I got too old to play young and too young to play old. So it's, <laughs> that was a, that, that's been a bit hard. Sometimes in those days, it was quite nerve-wracking. I mean, I was in Equus in, in 1976 in the West End, and I had to take everything off. And that was quite, but there was a big West End theatre, so it, the Albury, so it didn't really matter, because, you know, I wasn't near the audience, but... Um, that was quite scary. You go into a little cupboard with the director, John Dexter, and the leading young actor, Jerry Sundquist, and he said, right, I want to see you both taking off your clothes because you're going to have to do it in front of the old audience, so do it in front of me now, so you won't be so nervous. So I just took off my thing, ah! And then Jerry did the same. He was very skinny. Well, I was small, but that's the kind of thing you might not do now so much. You know, if the director told you to both take your clothes off, you wouldn't probably do that now. But... It was a different time, and I didn't really mind. And I had a lovely mental director called Annie Castledine, who was northern from Derby, and she'd sometimes she, I'd worked with her twice in the theatre, um, at the Arcola and at Alan Aitbourne's Theatre in Scarborough. And she would say, "I can't understand what's coming out of your mouth. I don't understand what you're saying. What? Oh, sorry. I'll try again. Yeah, it's all right. Go on then. Continue." What am I going to do? No, no, it's coming out wrong. Anyway, but then she loved me too. So, you know, you did get all kinds of different people. Acting, it's a way of not being yourself and at its best, you're relaxed and you're concentrated and you're sort of infatuated. So I suppose when I was younger, certainly, every job I did, I was a bit in love. Certainly with maybe the camera if I was on telly or... It, you sort of feel taken out of yourself and, yeah, it's just escaping yourself in a way, Marie. And the more, and the more sort of relaxed you are and the more confident, the better it is. What do I miss from Forest Row? Actually, my heart, in a way, is still on the forest. My, my spiritual feeling is still there. But I met my husband and... I fell in love and I've adapted to living in a very busy part of West London. Until, and even now, I miss being with nature, with, with the natural world, um, because it is so good for the spirit just to, to see a tree through the seasons, you know, the leaves coming off, then little buds coming, and then the complete bright lime green leaf from, from a beech tree and then it fading away. I, I, I miss that very much. Although you, you've got parks, I'm not, you know, I know you're lucky in London. I was always distracted by being, being in love or loving somebody. So that was, in a way, it became more important how my life was lived with a partner, with, with my husband who I met in, in um, 1971, at the Christmas of 1971. So in a way that coloured it, but within all that time, I would go back to the forest, to Forest Row, and, and I was driving, and I was uh, mostly drive, and get refreshed, healed, 
nurtured always by going for long walks up to somewhere called Jill's Lap. There's a placard now for um, A.A. Milne. I said, this is the enchanted forest. Um, there's a rock with a carving on it. So I never left it really. And I always went back from London to healing sounds a bit too uh, sort of new agey, but it was a rest and a, and a beauty. And um, could I live, could I have lived there? Would it have been a different life? In a, in a sense, it was more comfortable for my, for my personality to be with people. But for my sort of spirit, I was torn for the, you know, wanted to be with the natural world. So I was never going to be, and that in a way has always been part of me. So I quite, I've been a yearning person, but at the same time, from that yearning, I've now begun to draw and write, and, and it does make you more creative. In, it, it, if you don't, I mean, I'm not quite leading the life I want to, but that's quite interesting too, because then you force yourself to do other things, you know, um, a, sort of within that framework whereas if you're sort of got a pool I've got the forest I've got a huge garden I've got everything I went down the other day to a very big house outside Winchester and it had a lovely garden but it was huge high ceilings and it was too big really and I didn't you know wouldn't be comfortable in somewhere like that I live in a rabbit hutch now I live with my husband in a one bedroom flat with 74 stairs to get there on top of an old house. It's not a new build, so it's sort of, what, uh, maybe 1880, something like that. And on the top floor, so it's just a small kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, sitting room. And I've li we've lived there for 50 years. It's completely different to my upbringing. But I've adapted, luckily, and I call it in a way a little, not a rabbit hutch, but it sort of is hutch-like because we're on the top floor. We can poke our head out through the roof. But um, yeah, it, it's a bit, sometimes I do feel ouch, especially with climate change when it's boiling up there. Have I experienced anything that made me regret coming here? I didn't have those feelings. It was like at that time in our life, in the century of where we are, after the war, the 50s, the 60s, you had to be moving through what was happening, how you were going to live your life. I never, between I suppose 20 and 40, never really thought it was a mistake um, because I love people and the, the people in the countryside were sort of in their houses a, a little bit uh, in their own world um, away from the real life that was happening. I, I like to see people's lives. Would I be the same person now if I hadn't made the journey? Would I be the same person if I hadn't acted? I might have been happier, the real, real life, I think. One of the, well, it, helping people is one thing. The other thing is being a writer. And that I rather, I've always loved to do, but rather got distracted by acting. And I'm trying to do that now, and that's harder when you're older. Um, but I still will keep at it. So I think perhaps the acting you can be a bit of a commodity and if that runs out then you have to find other things inside yourself you know so I think um, the countryside I think I would be the same person if I lived in Forest Grove as long as I could find something that I like to do and would absorb me and that's the answer to life really absorption I think somebody said that it's not my quote but I think being absorbed in something is, is a, a wonderful thing. So I probably would be the same either, you know, Forest Row or, or Ladbroke Grove. <laughs> What's good about the city? 
galleries, cinema, fringe theatre, parks, humanity. What isn't good about the city? Homelessness, cars, pollution, cyclists going over the green man, car pollution, too many shops open all the time, run-down areas, flats are not kept up properly, are looked after, people who rent flats are very bad conditions in that way. Even our flat's got a little broken hole in the top window which we can't fix. So, and that's a tiny thing, so what other people... Uh, it's been deregulated. I think this country's been deregulated, but certainly London has been deregulated. There are certain things like congestion charge which were working, I think. Um, but it's got no... you don't feel you're looked after. Do I have a favourite thing to do in the city? Swim, walk, go to some lovely paintings and maybe creep in to an early film. Buster Keaton, a great, great genius. Uh, Laurel and Hardy, uh, Cary Grant, all the greats. But the BFI is brilliant because you can go back, way back to silent films. That's what I adore. Yes, that's just heaven. Do I miss anything about London when I'm not here? I wouldn't say I miss London. I would miss friends. I would miss friends. So if all my friends um, relocated, I would probably be with them. So London is for me friends. If you said to me, there's a little cottage going for um, about 50 quid, uh, about 30 miles out, I'd, I'd go down there. I might relocate and do it the other way, come back to London occasionally. So, but I don't think I'll do it in my lifetime. Maybe if, if there is another life. <laughs> no. Where can I get the best food in London? The other day, there's an Israeli uh, restaurant that I wanted to try. David and I went, extraordinary food, and a very nice man who was Italian, English, and he said that we, we came here obviously before the, the war, and it was extraordinary food, beautiful. I just had um, prawns, and, and David, I'm not sure it was organic, but he had chicken It was with, with labneh, and then a wonderful sort of pudding. And then I went to a Palestinian restaurant called Akup, and that was also wonderful. And I had a sort of freknay and little dumplings and a lovely pudding. So I'd been to both. So that was extraordinary, both wonderful food and it was rather wonderful going to two different ones in this very difficult time but I haven't got a favourite one because it's terribly expensive going out now. I'm mayor for the day, what will I change? There has to be a completely new green revolution. You have to open all the gardens, all the private gardens. You have to say to people if you want to pay a little minimal fee you can do an allotment here. We have to start to grow our food. The young ones would do it. It could be you have to walk to go shopping, you have to shop locally, you have to literally have a green revolution where you, as I said, open all the private gardens. It would be difficult, but we have to recycle in a different way. We have to be greener. We probably have to stop cars coming to certain parts of London. You probably have to stop using electricity all through the day. You would be a huge change of your so-called rights as a human, but our rights have to be curtailed because the planet is dying. Um, so 
that's what I would, if may, I would, the first thing I would do was, okay, private gardens, there has to be, who wants to put their name down for an allotment, we will put aside some ground and let us try and grow vegetables. I'll always be a people person. Um, I know that it can be tricky if I'm taking a long train journey and get talking to a stranger, David, my husband, would to say, oh, please, we're going to be in this carriage for a long time. Don't get too friendly in case they might be rather strange, a rather strange person or, you know, somebody that you might not like in the end. <laughs> and he always jokes and says, are you going to ask that question? Are you with somebody? Are you, have you got children? You know, so I'm sometimes a little bit over-friendly. Um, that comes from my mum, I think. But it also is terribly useful because in COVID and the times of lockdown, people now need to talk to each other. And I, and I don't mind talking to strangers. I mean, not on a huge long train journey, perhaps. But certainly in shops or in, you know, it cheers people up. And always when I get on the bus, I like to say, oh, thanks so much, because... It's tough, you know, if you don't have any contact and you're still mixing with lots of people. You know, it's tough. And that's it for this episode of I Came to London. Join us again next time for more stories from the people who make London. London.